This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. In just a minute, we're going to be talking with the chief of the Fort Lauderdale, Florida Fire Department about the complexities of running large fire departments and about the positive impacts of women in the fire service. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Side Alpha podcast is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Rhoda May Kerr previously served as the fire chief for the city of Little Rock, Arkansas from 2004 to 2009, and fire chief for the city of Austin, Texas from 2009 to 2018. And since July 2nd of 2018, she has served as fire chief for the city of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Fire Rescue Department. In all three cities, Chief Kerr has the distinction of being the first female appointed to the position of fire chief. Chief Kerr served through the chairs of the International Association of Fire Chiefs, serving as president in 2015, where, yes, she was the first female elected to serve as the president of the International Association of Fire Chiefs, first in the 142-year history of the organization. A fourth-generation firefighter, Kerr began her career in the fire service in 1983 with the city of Fort Lauderdale, serving 20 years and ultimately becoming Fort Lauderdale's first female deputy fire chief. Coming back to Fort Lauderdale, Chief Kerr was also appointed as interim assistant city manager, overseeing other departments. Chief Kerr brings almost 40 years of experience and is currently managing a staff of over 500 firefighters, lifeguards, and administrators. I have had the honor of working with Chief Kerr through various organizations on many projects for the past 12 years or more, and I can tell you this is just a small portion of her much longer bio. Chief, you have been a trailblazer in the fire profession for decades. Welcome to the Side Alpha podcast. Thanks, Mark. And I am really honored uh, to be part of this. I always, I always feel um, humbled when I'm asked to uh, be part of uh, broadcasts and uh, information that does get put out to so many people, you know, across the nation. So thank you. Absolutely. We we uh, appreciate you taking time to join us. And, you know, I want to point out that we recorded this podcast during Women's History Month. Uh, it's it's no secret that women in the fire service have not always had it as easy in the male dominated fire service. In fact, women weren't always welcomed in the fire service. So recognizing that, can you reflect on the significance of all of those firsts? that uh, you've had blazing that trail for folks? Yeah, you know, when you, I heard you say, you know, we haven't, we weren't always welcomed and we didn't always have it that easy. I kind of had to chuckle a little bit and uh, think, yeah, that's probably an understatement. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm trying to keep it, you know, level here in, in the discussion. And I think though that, you know, you have done a great job of, of uh, balancing that, 
the, the difficulties and complexities of overcoming it. So hopefully you can share with the listeners, you know, what that all means. Yeah, so, and I'm, I'm happy to, and thank you for that, that uh, compliment. So, um, you know, I think that um, the significance of all that is, is that I, my, I have sort of a single statement and then I'll elaborate a bit, but I think the significance is, is that I'm honored to have been the first, but I don't always want to be the first or the only. And I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to open the door for others to follow. And, um, you know, you have to uh, put yourself out there and you also have to be able to leave behind the negative and move forward towards the positive. And, you know, I mean, and just try to make changes and do it with an understanding that, you know, these are significant changes sometimes in people's lives. And when you were as trying to make a impact in an almost all male dominated field, you have to realize that there's certain ways to do that, you know, and you don't have to be um, negative in how you accomplish that. And, you know, like people will always tell you and they kind of laugh at me, but I even have friends that now correct people when they say firemen instead of firefighters or manning instead of staffing, you know, so those kind of things that, you know, we can all be part of. And I think the biggest advance for women is when they have men that are their champions. And I think that means so much you know, to the organization. So, you know, and you're right, I've had lots of firsts. And I like to say I love the sound of shattering glass. And I do. (laughs) I am excited that, you know, we are going to have another woman uh, president of the IAFC here very shortly. Donna Black will become the president. And so I'm really thrilled that somebody took up that challenge And other women are taking up the challenge. You know, we have women that are moving up through the organization and the ranks of the officers for the Metro Chiefs Association. So, again, you know, more and more women are are taking their spots and um, stepping forward. I think that for the first time in almost 60 year history of the Metro Chiefs Association, we have more women than we've ever had before. It used to be there was, you were one of three or one that we became one of five, you know, and now I believe there are probably 10 or 12 women Metro Chiefs that are um, active in in their organization. So I'm really excited uh, that that's happening. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, three of those, are uh, the, the Metro Chiefs, uh, female Metro Chiefs, are right there in the National Capital Region where I served. Yeah, um, you know, I, so that's awesome. I love yeah, that. Seeing that and and seeing it, uh, you know, in, in that case, such a high profile area uh, really does uh, uh, put some icing on on the yeah. cake, if you will, but not something we can rest on the laurels. Yeah. Um, I would agree, and I just, I mean, every time I, you know, I see something that comes across that you know, the appointment of a, a chief in a metro department and it's a woman, I'm like, you know, I'm so excited, I'm applauding. And and I mean, and they're, and they're organizations that have been very much um, male dominated, you know, I mean, like the city of Chicago, for example, or, you know, Baltimore City and, you know, I mean, all, I mean, Baltimore, Baltimore County, I didn't want to uh, 
right. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I got that right. And um, so I just think it's exciting time, you know, for women in the fire service. Yeah, absolutely. So you served as as president of the IFC, I mentioned that, but also you served as president of the IFC's Metro section, president of the National um, Society of Executive Fire Officers. And uh, then when you came back to Fort Lauderdale, the city manager tapped you to concurrently serve as the interim assistant city manager. Uh, in that case, overseeing more than just fire rescue department. I want to break that down a bit and kind of reflect on on several of those things. But can you reflect first on your experiences as president of the International Association of Fire Chiefs and the Metro section as well? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I think that I've, I felt like becoming the president of the International Association of Fire Chiefs was like, you know, the highlight of my career, you know, to oversee and be the president of that organization. And what I loved about it most was the places that I got to visit and organizations that I got to visit with around the world. And that that maybe sometimes like in the island, an example would be on the island of Saipan, way out in the Western Pacific Ocean, that, you know, the the firefighters there had never seen women in the fire service and in fact most of their experiences with women are their wives or their girlfriends you know and so they never would have understood or believed that you know women could be firefighters number one and number two um, that were leading organizations nonetheless being the president of the international association of fire chiefs so i think the fact that I could um, show that there is change in the world and show that uh, you know women are in those positions, I think was so important. And I think that's the part that I that I took most to heart and that I loved being able to do as as the president of the IAFC. So um, I just you know I'm I'm so glad I had that opportunity. No, and it's a it's a phenomenal uh, opportunity. Are there any other? Uh, I don't know. Incidents isn't really the word, but any other topics out of those uh, three or four years serving through those chairs that really were like sentinel moments for you um, as as chief? Uh, reflecting back on all those things, is there any one thing or maybe a couple things that stand out beyond what you just talked about? from your time serving through those chairs. Yeah, and you know, I think the impact of having a woman in the leadership role wasn't only a benefit to firefighters in different parts of the world, but I think it was really important to the board of the IAFC, you know, to, I mean, first of all, have a woman in the organization that sat on the board and um, and led it, and then then was able to influence the change, you know, and that sometimes I think people had epiphanies that kind of went, oh yeah, you know what, that is a different way of looking at it, and not only that, but to start to see it from a different perspective. And I mean, just like I mentioned earlier, you know, people using terms like firemen. You know, when the manning and some of those things, you know, trying to change that culture a little bit. And I believe that it did change. And I think it's important that 
um, there should be that type of representation on the board for forever and ever. It shouldn't have to be an, an occasion that it happens. So um, I was, you know, happy that I could play that role, that I could open that door and um, and make the differences. So I think, you know, it, it sort of played on both sides that way. Sure. Good. So how about then um, if we can transist that a bit into the uh, interim city manager and I chuckle because I I was looking at some of the other departments that you were responsible to to supervise as I looked through that and there's really little reflection to the fire service per se uh, but can you reflect on how that was different and uh, maybe reflect on how juggling that and the fire chief's role uh, what challenges you had and how you addressed it yeah, and I'd, I'd love that opportunity, and I like the opportunity to sort of expound on that a little bit as well. Okay, sure. You know, and, and like you said, the departments that I oversaw were all the operations departments, you know, parks and recreation and public works and uh, development and uh, building services, everything but the internal uh, departments, you know, so I didn't oversee finance and some of those other departments. But it was a great opportunity for me, first of all, to establish relationships with other department directors and their and their subordinates and to understand for me to understand more, you know, their importance in the greater role of the organization of the city of Fort Lauderdale. And and it also gave me the opportunity to bring better understanding to maybe each one of them in regard to the fire department role and what we do and you know and how we can uh help each other be successful and i think you know I, like i always think that first of all that relationships are so important as a leader and i just had the great opportunity to build great relationships not only with the other department directors but also with the city manager and um, the other assistant city manager at the time so i just was grateful that i had that opportunity but i was glad to go back to being just the fire chief <laughs> i i uh, i bet you were because i know how difficult it is uh you know in my case it was 900 firefighters uh, and paramedics along with 1500 volunteers and and as one agency just trying to deal with that i can't even imagine dealing with all of those other agencies you talked about uh, and the complexities that come with it so i bet you were happy to go back uh, <laughs> to just be fire chief. um how about in those other all of those leadership roles are there any other moments or times or things that stand out that uh, you wanted to talk about? Yeah, you know, there are a couple. Um, you know, when I, I I look around my office and I have all these things on the wall and on the shelves and but <clears throat> there's a couple of things I think that I'm quite proud of and just recognizes the influence that you can have and how important it is that um, we speak up and that we represent not only women, but representing the fire service. And um, there's actually several things. One, when I was the president of the IAFC, you know, we get to testify sometimes in front of Congress in regard to positions and, you know, representing the IAFC. And I got that opportunity several times 
And one of those was in front of the House of Representatives, their committee on Homeland Security and domestic preparedness. And I got there and I was introducing myself to the individual members and the um, chair, the minority chair of the committee was a representative Payne from Newark, New Jersey. And when I introduced myself, I told him I was the the uh, fire chief in Austin, Texas, because I was there at that time. And I was there as the president of the International Association of Fire Chiefs. And I said, but the best part is, as I said, I used to run the waterfront program for the boys resident camp for the Newark Y and representative Payne is represents Newark, New Jersey. Huh. And he goes to me, he looks at me, he goes, Camp Kayamisha? And I said, yes. And we started talking and we found out that I actually taught him how to swim. He was a camper when I was running the waterfront program in that camp. So I think it just, you never know where you're going to have influence. You never know who you're going to touch and you never know the influence that you may have. So that, you know, sticks in my mind as one of those sort of things that I will never forget. Yeah, I bet. One of the other highlights that that I want to touch on, um, in 2016, you were appointed by President Obama to the National Infrastructure Advisory Council. So in that role, uh, you joined uh, academic, public, and private sector experts. Uh, I know the, the council was charged with advising the president on the security of critical infrastructure and related information systems can uh, recognize in your term on that council is over, correct? Actually, it is not. Um, you, you're you not, it's not, it is a political appointment, but it is not related to who's the sitting president. So um, you can stay on it for a lifetime, basically. There are some, some people that have been on that that have been there for probably 10, 15 years. Wow, okay. So, so th- that's perfect though then, uh, you know, because my, my question, and as I read that was, you know, that's that's really, that issue is is a never ending concern for us in public safety. Yes. We talk about critical infrastructure, we talk about the information systems and protecting those and all those different things. Uh, and now, you know, we look at um, the whole situation with Russia and Ukraine and how the cyber attacks and all those different things. Can you speak to the critical infrastructure issues impacting the fire service today and what we can do to strengthen our position? Yeah, I mean, I think I can speak to some of them. And and I think one of the important things that we miss many times when we talk about critical infrastructure is we only think about the hard infrastructure, but we have to think about people as part of the critical infrastructure. And I think that the one thing that is facing us that part of our critical infrastructure is the people. Where are we going to get our future firefighters from? Where are we going to get our future paramedics from? And how are we going to keep our organization strong and able to meet the demands and the changes that we're going to be faced with? And I think that is the one thing that we have to look at carefully. And the one thing that maybe we have to start to think about like credentialing and credentialing that maybe crosses state lines that, you know, I'm a paramedic firefighter in the state of Montana, for example, and I want to move to Florida. 
do I have to go through a whole nother credentialing process or can there be some reciprocity? Chief, How do we do Chief, that? Chief, can you say that a little louder for those in the back of church to hear it? <laughs> that is uh, that is uh, something high on my priority list is, uh, and it's not just about the state of Florida, obviously, uh, but I, I'm, I've been preaching that and I appreciate more than you'll ever know you bringing that up, um, you know, and I think that's uh, real important for us to move forward in the future. So fantastic that you brought that up. And I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh, that's, you're absolutely OK. And that was the, the last project that we worked on and we presented the report to uh, President Obama before he left office. What did deal with people as part of the critical infrastructure in areas of you know water power and those things that are you know in cybersecurity and there's so many problems in the federal government of you know uh, continuity and sustainability of people because of the requirements because of the credentialing because of the fact that um, and I don't know if you've ever had a secret clearance but it takes a long time to get it and then it doesn't transfer. So if you worked for some agency or organization or department in the federal government and you had a secret clearance and then you go to work for another one, that secret clearance doesn't follow you. You have to redo it. So it stalls the process of hiring people and getting people working in some of these critical infrastructure jobs. So um, and it talked a lot about and this is something that maybe we need to look at is education. And, you know, is if somebody is really technically savvy and they can code and do all these things. And obviously the people that are hacking into our systems today are not necessarily college educated. Right. So why in our world do we think we need to have a college degree, a bachelor's degree, for example, to sit in a role in the critical infrastructure world that um, maybe doesn't need that degree. You just need to be really smart when it comes to coding and all those things that I'm not good at, you know, and I have a degree, right? So, you know, why would you hire me with a degree over somebody that doesn't have a degree, but is still really good at something, so. Yeah, absolutely. Really important stuff, uh, and it certainly we could talk for days and days about that, but uh, I do need to take just a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. Okay. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policy, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. We're back with the City of Fort Lauderdale Fire Chief, Rhoda May Kerr. Chief, in addition to being a, a fire service trailblazer, um, you've been a strong advocate for higher education and fire service. We talked a little bit about that kind of in reverse just a second ago. Can you speak about the importance of higher education? Yeah, and you know, I mean, I was sitting here kind of smiling a little bit because we were just talking about that in maybe some circumstances, it's not necessary. And then in others, it is. But I think 
some of the things that I believe that higher education does for people is it's a maturing process. It's learning how to make decisions. It's learning how to matriculate, you know, through the college world. And it's and it's figuring out all those things that you're going to have to do later when you're a firefighter or you're an officer in in a fire department, in an organization, it's decision making, it's analysis and like, okay, what classes do I have to take? What do I need to do for my degree? It's it's being responsible and accountable, you know, for your time going to class. It's all those things uh, that I think stress the importance of higher education. Yeah. And more and more fire departments across the country and, and now I'd say majority are requiring uh, the yes. degree. So can you talk towards maybe where folks that are kind of on that fence or, or just getting in, where they should lean their focus in that higher education um, uh, discussion? Yeah, so I mean, you know, it's important um, as people move up through the organization and in some cases, in order to be eligible to take a promotional exam, you have to have a certain degree you know, or not a degree, so to say, but you have to have some of that higher education. You need an associate's degree or you need a bachelor's degree. Uh, in many cases, if your desire is to be the fire chief someday, then most fire chief positions you see uh, at least require a bachelor's degree. Some even say master's degree preferred. And then in some cases, they even talk about um, the executive fire officer program and some of those leadership programs that are available through agencies, you know, other than your typical uh, college, you know, the National Fire Academy, for example, or the Naval Postgraduate Program. I mean, then uh, the Harvard programs. I mean, there are a lot of programs out there that focus on leadership and also look at what are the key um points or concepts of leadership and a lot of that is building relationships and figuring out how you integrate with the mayor or the city manager or the elected officials it's not just firefighters any longer right right yeah and figuring out the politics of things oh my gosh yeah <laughs> yeah and, yeah you 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 and i uh and every other chief out there should be able to speak that language. That's uh, right. it's make make or break territory for you if you can't figure that out. It certainly so, is. Yep, our paths, you know, have been similar in in one respect uh, specifically, and that is coming up through the organization, leaving for another opportunity, then coming back to lead that original organization as chief. Um, I know it's a very fulfilling and rewarding opportunity. Uh, as I'm sure you agree, can you speak to any of the initiatives or programs that you have underway or maybe on the horizon uh, since you've been back as chief now of Fort Lauderdale? Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, so I just sit here smiling, thinking about how I get to close my career out where it all began and that, yeah. um, you know, I there are a number of chief officers in this organization now that I hired as firefighters, you know, and so it gives me a big thrill, you know, to see that, you know, accomplishments that they've made and and their uh, ability to rise to the organization and their dedication and passion. But um, some of the things that we want to accomplish, certainly, is we are a very busy department and 
Um, we certainly need to improve our staffing to um, meet the demands of this fast growing city. And, we, and it's difficult in this budget error. So how do we help the call volume and particularly in the medical side of it, right? The medical services side of it. How do we meet that call volume if we can't add extra units? So one of the things that we're working on and um, we're having a big um, stakeholder forum uh, here next week, but we're talking about, um, we started a little bit with just one person, but we really need to expand that is mobile integrated healthcare. Yeah. So how do we reduce the call volume? We do that through different ways. And you know, one of those is, is the mobile integrated healthcare so those folks that are calling 911 because that's the only healthcare system that they know and have access to. So how do we fix that? And you know, there are a lot of departments throughout this country that have been doing that for quite a while. And in fact, there are some departments in this country that call themselves fire rescue and medical department. So, you know, I think that's where the fire service needs to head. It doesn't mean that we have to let go of our uniqueness of the things that we do in fire suppression and emergency services. But we do have to focus, you know, where's the largest call volume? 70, probably 70 to 78% of most departments that provide medical rescue, that call volume is in the medical services. So we're working um, towards establishing a larger and better um, outfitted mobile integrated healthcare team. And again, that, that will be, we'll need more people. I mean, it can't be done with current staffing, but we're working towards that. And I think that will be a big benefit for us. And it will take some of that uh, repeated calls off of, you know, the operations folks. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and a lot of, I know the state of Florida is making a big push to support those programs. So I suspect you'll find uh, at the state level that, some support, at least with funding and whatnot, if not uh, political support right. to help through that. So uh, any other programs or uh, specific um, things going on in Fort Lauderdale you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, so I think one of the things that I've always been a big proponent of, and I've kind of pushed that to the limit, is community engagement and having our firefighters, no matter whether you're in the station or whether you're assigned to community engagement or whatever people may call it, community risk reduction, uh, is making sure that we are engaged with the community, whether it's a smoke alarm installation program, for example, you know, and how the goal is that every home in Fort Lauderdale will have working smoke alarms. Yeah. Now, we know that the best thing that they can have would be sprinklers, right? Home fire sprinklers, mm -hmm. but that's not achievable. So if we can achieve the fact that every home has working smoke alarms, then we're, we're saving lives and people are doing their part. So engaging the community in their own safety and well-being, but also um, pushing firefighters out. And it's not like they're not busy. They It's not like they have all this free time but it's still so important for the community to recognize that we don't only come in the big red truck, you know, when you have a fire or an emergency, but we're there for you to keep you safe and to reduce risks that you're exposed to. Yeah. And, you know, again, 
Exactly. Back to the last discussion, it, it really is part of the politics of running an organization. It's not about knocking on doors and asking for money politics. It's about understanding what makes your community tick. And having your firefighters a part of that, uh, again, something I've been preaching for years, so I appreciate you yeah. you bringing that up. Yeah. It's been uh, one of my big things for years. In every department that I've been the chief of, I have really ramped up that community engagement and, you know, sending trucks to the state fair and sending, you know, firefighters to participate here and there. And and I do the same thing as the chief, you know. I mean, you have to be willing uh, to speak, you know, at any time that they ask and you have to be willing to put yourself out there and you know um i think can think of things like uh for a fundraiser for an education program and um offering up dinner with the firefighters at the station you know and i mean people i'm going to tell you people paid six thousand dollars for it and the money went to the humane society okay you know great stuff Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely you know, through all of your experiences, uh, Rodeme, I've I've witnessed you serve as a mentor for both men and women in the fire service, um, and you know I'll I'll call it a true testament to the gender neutrality that the fire service should embody. Um, when Grandma Jones calls, she doesn't call for a female firefighter or a male firefighter. She wants a firefighter, or a paramedic, or an EMT. Um, what message do you have? for those looking to make a difference in the fire service as a whole, men or women, what, what message would you have for them? I, there's a couple of things I would say is always be true to yourself. Number one, number two, um, don't ever lose your passion. You know, and I talk about that when I talk to my new firefighters coming on board and that, um, you know, don't lose that spark. Don't lose that passion. I mean, we most of the time we love what we do. And you know what? There are tough days and there are days when we go, oh, my God, why am I doing this? But honestly, in my 39 years in the fire service, I have very few times where I've gone, oh, my God, I got to go to work today. You know, so yeah. I think that's so important, you know, and um, and I have a, a saying and it kind of ties in with be true to yourself, but uh, never be silent. And that there's this saying from Martin Luther King that says our lives begin to end the day we are silent about things that matter. And I think we have to live by that as we serve as firefighters and how we treat our community and how we treat each other. Absolutely. So, um, Chief, we're coming towards the end here. If you had one thing uh, beyond what we just talked about there, if you had one thing to impress on firefighters listening in, what would it be? I I, I think um, never give up and go for your goals. And if you want to be a firefighter and stay a firefighter, then be the very best firefighter that you can and realize that leadership comes at all levels. It's not just the person at the top. It's not just the person with you know, captain or lieutenant or chief attached to their name. It's about you leading from below. And I had a city manager that used to say, a good idea is a good idea no matter where it comes from. And I think that's part of that leading 
from anywhere in an organization, you can always be the leader. You may not be the formal leader, but you can always be the leader. So never allow that opportunity to pass you by. And secondly, never give up your goal, whatever it is. You want to be the fire chief, then don't give up that goal and work towards it throughout your career. But yeah. if you be a driver and you love being a driver, then be the best driver that you can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and back to the other one, you know, as you're saying, you may not be the boss, but that doesn't mean that you're not a leader. That's correct. Well, uh, what's next for Chief Kerr? You you kind of alluded to this in uh, one question we spoke, talked about, but what's next for Chief Kerr? So Chief Kerr is got her 39 years in the fire service and when I hit those 40 years in the fire service, I am going to be retiring at the oh end of this goodness. year. The end of 2022? That's it. December of this year, I will be leaving the fire service as the fire chief. Um, I don't know what that means after. I mean, I certainly know that I want to play more golf. I want to travel. Um, I've had several offers for um, opportunities, you know, for jobs, but uh, those jobs that have been offered are the ones that are intermittent, you know, so I don't have to be uh, tied to a schedule and I can do what I want to do, but yet I can still have my finger in the fire service and be part of that fire service. So yeah. that's what's next for me. Well, good for you. I, I uh, appreciate you spending time with us as uh, as you as, as the sands begin to uh pour in your hourglass. You still got a long time left. Um, I did a similar thing where I gave seven months notice of my retirement, um, which was good and bad. But uh, I appreciate you spending time with us. And for folks that uh, may not have listened from the beginning, we've been talking with Chief Rodeme Kerr, and we're going to cover some of the, the takeaways from our discussion. Uh, Chief Kerr was the first of a lot of different things. Listen into the podcast so that you you pick up on all of those things. Uh, one of the uh, important takeaways from that discussion, though, is she was honored to be first, but doesn't want to be the first and only or first and last. Um, she talked about leaving behind negativity and moving forward towards positivity and how, in general, we don't have to be so negative about things. Uh, in her career highlights, we talked about being president of the International Association of Fire Chiefs and uh, being a part of the wave of change of culture that sees women in the fire service with more value and purpose. Uh, she talked about a greater understanding of interdepartmental roles when she was the tapped to be the uh, interim assistant city manager, understanding the interdependence of roles of other agencies in service delivery and how we can maximize that, uh, and then building relationships across agencies how being in that role gave her an opportunity to take down some of the walls that existed uh, between agencies. Uh, she talked about speaking up and being responsive about uh, some of the highlights, uh, again, in her time testifying before Congress. And, and in that process, uh, she told a story about um, a, a congressman uh, who ended up being one of her students uh, from an earlier time in New Jersey. So her point was that you never know uh, where you're going to have impact. So make sure you're always speaking up uh, and being uh, responsive and responsible in your discussions. We talked about thinking about people 
and how, as we talk about infrastructure, critical infrastructure and the impacts on the fire service, how we need to think about people and hard stuff when we're talking about critical infrastructure. Uh, and in that discussion, we talked about uh, the difficulty of finding people and not so much that there was an answer, but that it's something that uh, it needs to be in discussion constantly. Where are we going to find our people in the future? Uh, is a national credentialing process part of the uh, part of the solution? And again, I'll say that louder for the people in the back of the room. Is the national credentialing process important for our success in the future? We talked about the role of education in critical critical infrastructure, uh, and where higher education may or may not be. Uh, a necessarily important topic. And then we talked about higher education in specific on the firefighting process. And Chief Kerr talked about her um, analysis of higher education as a maturing process, a life process uh, that helps people understand uh, how to make decisions and how to conduct analysis, uh, helps build responsibility and accountability. Uh, and then ultimately how higher education also can help with figuring out the politics of um, uh, what the fire service is about. And then we talked about her time in uh, Fort Lauderdale and uh, how some of the things that she is either working on or has been working on as chief is the need to improve staffing uh, during difficult budget environments. And I think all fire chiefs go through that, uh, but how it's, you know, it's very acute right now, especially in a lot of these larger departments. Talked about the program for mobile integrated health that's already there, but improvements for the Fort Lauderdale mobile integrated health program. And then finally about uh, community engagement as a priority for her wherever she's been chief. And we're talking about a community engagement from smoke alarms to fairs to fundraisers and community meetings, both the chief and the organization involved in those things. Uh, then when I asked her about uh, mentoring and what she would have to say uh, to firefighters who wanna make a difference, she said, uh, number one, always be true to yourself, never be silent. And then number two, don't ever lose your passion. Uh, and then finally, asking Chief Kerr uh, about what she would impress on firefighters. Uh, if she had one thing to impress on firefighters, she gave me two, and that was never give up. Um, also, as part of that, going for your goals. And then leadership comes at all levels, whether you're the boss or not. And then finally, when I asked her, What's next for Chief Kerr? Chief Kerr informed us of her imminent retirement at the end of 2022 as the fire chief so that she can go on to enjoy golf and travel in a certainly a much less threatening role. Folks, that's all we have time for today. We've been talking with the city of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Fire Chief Rhoda Mae Kerr. Thanks again to Chief Kerr, and thanks to our listeners for hanging in there with us. This is Mark Bashore, Executive Editor for FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com. Let's try to have a great day on purpose. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care. <laughs>